weeks ago, I was sharing just on the topic of running a race of uh, uh, the race of faith and what it's like to run that race. And uh, we spent some time talking about that a couple of weeks ago. We talked about just the idea of what it's like to be a spectator of someone else's race. Because everyone around you, they're, they're running this race of faith is what the Bible uh, refers to it as. It's, it's this life of faith, but it's, it's got a point. You had a start date. You've got an end date somewhere. God's got plans for where, where he desires for you to be and why he designed for you to be a certain way. And he's like, run to win. Run to win the prize. And, and so last week you talked about the spectators who are watching and saying, you know, those other ones around you, be that encouragement to them. Cheer them on. There's others who've gone before that are cheering us on. And, and today I just want to kind of finish with the thought of what it's like to run together. Not just being running your own race and aware of that. Not just being aware that others are running around you. But how do we run together? A few years ago um, at a LeaderCast event that happens in uh, Cayuga, Andy Stanley had shared these three little thoughts, and he wrote, wrote them down on cue cards, but they just got lodged in my head, and every once in a while, they come back to the surface, and you know, uh, it, it's these three questions that you uh, uh, need to ask yourself every once in a while. As an organization, as a person, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And where do I fit in? Because it can get so easy to get distracted from what, you, you know, your purposes are, and if you don't, you don't really stay focused on, well, this is what we're actually doing, you end up doing all kinds of other stuff that doesn't actually lead to your goals in life. Financially, uh, your advisors will tell you, what's your goal? Why are you trying to save? Why do you have a job and are making money anyways? Because if you don't realize what that goal is, if the goal is like, well, I just want to be a millionaire, good. You might, it might cost you your family, your relationship with your kids, your health. You might get your million, but you'll lose everything else. And so they're always saying, don't, you know, is that really what the goal was? Oh, no. You know, the goal was I would just want to have enough money that I can spend quality time with my family. And, and so it's, it's that idea of sometimes you've got to get back to that spot. Well, what, what are we doing? So that we actually do that. And it, it goes across the board. It goes the same way with, with a church. And so we wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that this morning. What is Kingsway doing? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Why are we here this morning and last night? And uh, where do each of us fit in in that, in that picture? Uh, you know, it's always, um, for some of you, as I, as I read this, you know, I was like, man, that's amazing as I heard Andy Stanley share it. I didn't get that feeling from any of you guys this morning. None of you are like, oh, yeah, that was, that was great. You know, it's kind of like you, you had to be there. You had to be at that event for it to, to, to uh, make that, the same type of impact because it's always better being there. Uh, I, I thought, you know, I'd, I'd show some fireworks this morning and, and see what your response and reaction would be to these. Uh-huh. So I got a, good, a whole bunch of good sarcastic oohs and ahs. <laughs> Just as I had hoped, you know. Uh, but how many of you were at the, uh, at the tricycle race on, in, in Cayuga on uh, Friday night? I mean, was that ridiculous or what? Like, those are the best fireworks I've ever seen in my life, and they're in Cayuga. You know, I'm a, I was like watching. I've seen them in Toronto. I've seen them all over. And I was like, these were like amazing fireworks. And you hear people cheering, thinking it's the grand finale, and all of a sudden, there's more, you know. And the music going in the back, it was, it was just amazing. If you didn't do the tricycle race, do it next year. It's worth it for the fireworks alone. But it's better when you're there one night one night we uh with uh, i forget what's one of the holidays where there's fireworks and and we said to our kids like you know we just we, we don't really want to go let's just watch fireworks on youtube and sure enough watching fireworks on youtube like one minute in they're like dad this is so boring you know just like forget it who cares about fireworks uh, there was no making it up to them because you had to be there being there made it that much better uh, and you know it's like you can watch hockey games on television 
But, you know, it's, it's, it's different when you get to be there. Uh, a couple of, uh, actually it was last season, I went to, to uh, uh, watch a hockey game with my kids and my parents, and actually our whole family went, and we were watching the Ice Dogs versus the Bulldogs. I don't know what league that is, but they're playing in, in Niagara. And so we had, we had tickets, and as we're sitting there, and they'd almost score, and everybody jump out of the seat, oh, you know, and a big check, you're like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, if you weren't cheering enough, they put this thing on the, on the screen, go dogs, go. And we're all like, go dogs, go, cheering for, I don't know which dogs, ice dogs or bulldogs, whichever one, you know, had the black, was like, go dogs, go. And it was pretty, pretty exciting. And then, you know, it's just sitting there with an expensive coffee that tasted like mud. I was like, it's not Tim Hortons. I paid like four bucks for this. Uh, but just in the experience, half of it's on the floor when you're cheering anyways. But it's just, everything's different by, um, by being there. Uh, as, and there's nothing like it. Except there's maybe something even more than just being there. Uh, a few years ago, I got the chance to play hockey with my family. Um, the Vanduers, they have this hockey team that they named the Utsa's Destroyers. Utsa is my grandfather's unfortunate name. Uh, and that nobody in, in Canada was like, what? Utsi? Utsa? What, what is that? It's like Utsa. Like it's like got some like chutzpah to it. Utsa's Destroyers. We had the orange Dutch lion on our jerseys. We didn't destroy anything other than maybe locker rooms. Like, we were just not good at all. And we, we'd enter these tournaments every year. We'd get last place every year. And then there was a, the, a couple of years back, they, uh, they said, hey, Mark, we need some extra players. Do you know anybody? I'm like, well, I know this guy. His name's Brody DeVries. We call him Slody, but we'll take him along anyways and see how it goes. And so we brought Brody that year, and, and uh, so I don't know how it happened. Maybe he's a good luck charm or something, but all of a sudden, we find ourselves in the finals of the B division. So that's kind of all the losers that lost all the first games. They put them all together and see who can, who can be the best loser. Well, we were the, there's a lot of teams, but we're, we're used to being the lo- worst loser. Now we're in, in the finals of this. I can't, I can't believe it. You know, and so then there's two minutes left in the game, and as we're playing on the ice, I'm like, I don't know why they thought that it was a good idea to put me on the ice at that point. I'm the worst player on the team. But I find myself on the ice, in the corner, on a bad shift change by the other team, and I think about it, and I'm like, man, it's right here to there is the net. I, I got this. And, you know, most of you would hope that I would, well, maybe, I, maybe it's just me, but I really hope that the, the story would go that I would score this amazing goal. But it didn't go that way at all. As I was standing behind the net, I put, put my head up, and I could see Brody coming across the blue line. And, and I was like, oh, sweet, I can probably pass it to him. And I make this pass. I don't know if it was perfect, but he picked it up, triple takes the goalie out of his pads, and scores with less than two minutes to go, and it's one to nothing. And all of a sudden, my cousins, who all used to make fun of me, all are, like, hugging me. And it's like, I'm like, this is a, they're like, yeah cheering. I look at the bench where all my older cousins are sitting who I've always tried to impress and they're impressed. They're smacking their sticks on the side of the boards and in the dressing room after they're hooping it up and cheering because Brody and I, we were going to go home because I had church the next day and they talked us into staying. He scores the winning goal and we win a $10 Tim card. It was all for that. But that was the best free coffee I ever had. Uh, and, you know, the experience of that, you know, what, what made that so much different? I mean, for me, it feels like yesterday. I don't know if you can tell, but, like, it's almost like that zeal is, like, still there. Like, that was, like, just one of those great moments. Uh, I'd sit here and think about it, but I have to work. But the, uh, the, the, there's something different about being there, being on the team, being in the game. Uh, there's so, and Jesus was talking about that when he decided he's going to build this thing called the church. It wasn't this idea of being some sort of spectator sport. This idea of like, it feels good to be at Kingsway. I laughed, I cried, it was better than cats or dogs. You know, it's like I, I enjoyed the, the time there, felt good, and then I'll see what happens next week. He was like, the idea of putting all these people together 
building a church was that they'd be in the game, that there would be the excitement of being a part of what's actually happening and, and, and reaching a goal and making a difference together. Jesus began the church as a team. It was first 12 disciples, him and his team. And, and after that, he sent them out. And we, we can read about it in Matthew. He said, go into all the world and make more disciples. You guys have been following me. I love the words this morning. You guys have been learning what the rhythms of grace are like. Now go out and show that to others. Make more followers. And he said, you know, he said to Peter, I'm going to build my church with a, this, not a building, this group of people who know me personally. That's what this is going to be all about. People who know Jesus and get together. And he says, you know what? The gates of hell won't be able to stand it and they're not going to be able to stand against it. He's like, the church is going to make such a difference in the world. I don't know if that's kind of, when you think of church, do you think of that kind of, uh, that kind of thought that it's like this powerful force that's working, you know, in North America to make a difference in the lives of people around them and, and snatching people from the very gates of hell, giving them hope and offering them eternal life? Uh, I don't know. I just come and sit in a seat, you know, and I hope it's like not too long, right? That's sometimes the thought. But he didn't design it that way. And that's as Kingsway, we've said for forever, we want to redefine what people think church is like in Canada. Paul wrote a letter to a group of followers of Jesus in this town called Philippi because after those 12 shared it, it went everywhere. And there was all these little towns where groups of these Jesus followers would get together and they began to, it, it says they turned their world upside down as they began to uh, realize they were in the game and they were part of it and they kept I'm spreading it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Paul writes them because after they started uh, being out in their communities and, and sharing good news with people, they got, they got some oppression. They got some persecution happening against them. And Paul was being persecuted as well. He's in prison lots of times. But he wrote these letters from there and he said this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Now just picture this. You know, if you're sitting in that church in Philippi, that little group of people in Philippi, and this letter arrives from Paul. And he asks these questions. You know, you're going through some tough stuff, but has there been any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I'd like to ask you guys the same question. Has there been any encouragement in your life from belonging to Christ? For some of you, yeah, as we passed the mic around, you even heard testimonies this morning of, yeah, it's actually been good to be a follower of Jesus. Here's what he's done in my life. He's like, hey, uh, has there been any comfort from his love? Any of you experienced that as a follower of Jesus? Yeah, there's, some, there's been some comfort in my life uh, as a result of that. Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Well, take a look around. You know, here's all kinds of people that you're not really related to and you wouldn't hang out with for any other reason than that you have something like in spirit. That, that idea of being connected in fellowship, not just with each other, but with Holy Spirit. That idea of, I'm doing life with God. And then he says, are, are your hearts tender and compassionate? And he's asking them these, these thoughts. As followers of Jesus, has any of it made a difference in your life? And he says, then, then he says this. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Make me truly happy. If, there's, if these kind of things have happened in your life, then he says, you know, this idea of agree wholeheartedly with each other, love one another, and love's not like, oh, I feel so in love with the people in my row. It's that idea of, I know people in my row are going through some difficult stuff, and I'm going to walk with them, and I'm going to help them, and I'm going to encourage them. And he says, and working together with one mind and one purpose. That's what teams do. You know, Jesus designed a, a, a team. It was this idea of one goal, one purpose. When you play hockey, it's easy. Put the puck in the net. You know, when it's basketball, put the puck in the net. When you're like having a sewing bee, it's like finish as many of these little uh, things that we're sewing as quick as possible. Whatever your goal is. There's this common goal and it's understood. 
And he says to them, don't be selfish. Try, don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think about others more than yourselves. And don't look out just for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And as Paul's asking them this idea, you just see this, this thought of, of teamwork coming through. Um, this idea of saying, hey, if, if there's been good stuff happening in your life, use that for, for something bigger than you. So I want to just give you a few thoughts this morning on this idea of church being a team sport. And if you're not into sport metaphors, you're probably not going to enjoy all of this this morning. However, there's some incredible truth there that applies to every single one of us. So maybe if you, as you, you may want to grab one of those little note cards to jot some of these things down that later on you can be like, yeah, well, I'm going to find out if that's really in the Bible, you know. Or if you disagree with me, it's great to just have it down. Hey, here's what you said. And, and you know, is this really there? And open some conversations. Or maybe through this morning, all of a sudden, it's not something that I said, but all of a sudden, this thought came to your mind because of something that was said, and you're like, hey, that's something for me. Where did that come from? Jot it down, because God may be talking to you about something that you're going to need in your life today, tomorrow, in the next week, something. So here's a few thoughts. Number one, church is a team sport. It's not a one-man show. Not a one-man show. It was never designed to be, let's put all kinds of people in rows and watch a guy at the front. Last week, I worked so hard rhyming stuff so that maybe you remember. So let's just try this. We said last week that you don't blank in the row. Anybody remember what that is? Grow. You don't grow in the row. I know. Or else you grow slow. Oh, it's coming back to you now, right? And, and then we said, you know, the people in, in, in your row, you don't blank the people in your row. Do you remember what that was? No. You don't know what's really going on in your row. He said, that's not how we wanted to design what church was going to be like. This kind of idea, if this is all that church is, that's not going to turn the world upside down. That's not going to make uh, any, any lick of difference. It's this idea of people getting connected and running, actually running uh, their race together. Jesus, he's God on the planet. He started with a team. It wasn't just him. It was him and the 12. You know, I, I, I thought it'd be interesting this morning. You know, uh, I just want to take a quick vote. Who do you think here is the strongest person in this place? Physical strength, not smell. Strongest person in this place? Bob DeVries? No, he says no. Well, who do you think is stronger than you, Bob? He's way too proud to say. So it's going to be Bob DeVries, right? So if Bob DeVries with his massive pipes, robo-bob, strong, strong as an ox, if we put him up against 10 women in tug-of-war, who wins? 10 women. Yeah, no, exactly, right? The women are like, yeah, that's right. That's right. It doesn't matter. Why? Because one against a team always loses. And it's this idea where Jesus was saying there's, there's this co connection of connecting strengths together that makes it so much stronger than whatever the strongest uh, thing you face. Church, he says, it's a team sport. It's that idea of being together, working together. And a good team is made up of good team players. You know, as we build a team, as, I don't know if you realize that, but you're a part of a team, being a part of Kingsway uh, family and being a part of what Jesus calls the church as a whole. And there's different ways you can be a teammate. I had a few stories I wanted to share with you in 1992 on the, in the Olympics. Just as the previous Olympics have gone past, all of a sudden they, these, these, um, uh, these uh, blogs were coming up of, here's the top 50 moments in Olympic history. And I was reading through and saw some of these uh, things. It was, it was uh, interesting. In, in 1992, some of you may have remembered this. There was a game where the, the United States volleyball team was playing against um, Japan. And uh, in, that, in that very first round of the, of the volleyball uh, game, there was one of the games where, where a guy named Bob Samuelson, one of the Americans, shouted out a curse word at the ref because he didn't like the call. And in international play, if you, uh, if you curse a ref, or the, the opposing team gets a point. Well, they only needed one more point. And so Japan won that round and actually beat the, the United States in that. Uh, and they were, all, they were on the verge of elimination. 
Here they'd worked four years to get to this place, and then their teammate drops the ball by just dropping an F-bomb on, on a ref. Why couldn't he just keep his mouth shut, right? And we wouldn't be in this spot of having all of this pressure. Well, it says that they, the, the guys, realizing that Bob, Bob Samuelson's one of the guys uh, on this picture, he has a medical condition where he can't grow any hair. We have a few of those here this morning as well. But his, uh, his medical condition uh, caused him to be bald. And so his whole teammate, they gathered around and they decided, you know what, we can either be angry at him or we can just say, no, we're a team and we win as a team and we lose as a team. And so they all just shaved their heads. And they said, we're just going to be the big bad baldies. We're going to pick up our brother and we're just going to do this thing together. And so, so they went on, they went on to win the bronze medal that year simply because they didn't give up. They were on the verge of being out, but realized as a team, we're going to pick a brother up. Two years later, 1994, World Cup of Soccer, this guy named Andres Escobar plays for, uh, played for Colombia, the Colombian national team. And you'll remember this story from back then if, if, uh, as it goes that uh, as he played against the United States in that game, uh, in one of the qualifying games, uh, again, they were on the verge of elimination. They were, it, the, the score was tied, and one of the Americans crossed the ball across, uh, uh, across the Colombian net, and Andres Escobar slid to try and tip it out and accidentally tipped it past his goalie into his own net. The game was near the end, and they lost that game 2-1. to one. He was dejected. His whole country was upset. He went home back to Colombia. Five days later, July 2nd, 1994, these men found him uh, after he'd been partying with some of his buddies. They found him in a parking lot in Colombia, and they approached him, and they began to argue uh, with him over this goal. And two guys pulled out guns, and they shot him six times. They shot him, and it says the witnesses say that every time the gun went off, they shouted, goal, goal, goal. Like the announcer who had been calling the game had shouted goal six times when he had put it in his own net. They found out the next day as they arrested the men that it was one of his own countrymen who had shot him because he had bet heavily on the game and had lost, the, lost a lot of money as a result of this own goal. His own countrymen couldn't pick him up, couldn't uh, rally around and say, you know what, yeah, that was bad luck, you know, whatever. And you say, well, what does that have to do with church? You know, in church, when you get around people, there's going to be people that are close to you and running with your team that let you down. The church is famous for eating their own. You know, we have people that, 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 that have, you know, going through life and, and face struggles, and then all of a sudden it's like the, the church piles on. You find out someone's struggling with something, and it's like, oh, you know, we don't, we don't want anything to do with them. We find, uh, you know, different things in our teams where it's like something gets, uh, you know, missed or misplaced. It's like, oh, you know, why do they have, do they have to be that? You know, oh, man, somebody didn't show up for kids' ministry. Oh, and it was whatever these things, and we come down hard on people. But as we build this team, he says, listen, as this whole group of people is out to reach the world, he says, you got, there's a, the opportunity to pick a brother up, to be there and say, hey, I want to encourage and be a person who encourages. Encouragement's an incredible thing. It really means to put courage, put strength into someone. Do you know, as we pass the mic around this morning, people are sharing some of the spots and some are discouraged. As a team, it's that idea, I'm going to rally around and put courage into them. 1992, those same Olympics, there's a guy named Derek Redman who is a runner for Great Britain. Phenomenal thing. You guys know that in this UK section over here. He, uh, he was one of the amazing runners um, for them. He, had, he was it, it, the Olympics previous to this. He was one of the favorites to win the 400 meters, but had to actually withdraw 10 minutes before his race 
because of a, a, a small injury, and so they couldn't uh, risk him running. So he spent the next four years training for this Olympics, hoping that, that he'd have the chance to win. And as he, was, he got to the race, he said, you know, I feel, like I, I feel like I'm at 100%. His body felt right. He came out of the blocks ahead of everybody. As he reached the 150-meter the uh, mark, he was already in the lead. And then he describes it like this. He says that all of a sudden, he says, I felt this pain in my leg that felt like I had been shot. He crumpled to the track. He didn't realize he had torn his hamstring. But by being, being in, yeah, for those who know what that's like, that's a, a lot of pain. He, but he realized he was in first place, and he dragged himself up off the, mat, off the, off the uh, track, and he began to hobble and hop along to try. In his head, he thought, if I can just catch at least four of these other runners that are beyond me, he says, I can still qualify for the finals. This is my one chance. Well, all of a sudden, the trainers began running onto the track and tell him, lay down, lay down. You know what? You're, you're hurt. Lay down. And all of a sudden, the cameramen started getting right in front of him saying, stop, stop, as if his trainers weren't enough. Lay down. Get back on the track. And he's like, no. He says, I'm going to finish my race. And in tears of incredible pain, he kept hobbling along. And then out of the 65,000 people who were watching this, one man ran down and jumped over, fought off security, and ran to, to uh, Derek's side and, and stood beside him and said, as he came up to me, he said, Derek, you don't have to do this. And he's like, i got to finish my race. And he says, well, okay, then we're going to do it together, son. And his dad came out and just ran up beside him to hobble along. And I know as I watched this a couple days ago, I was like bawling in front of my computer. You know, they had Coldplay music. And it was like, oh, man. And, and as he got to the end, his one chance, he's like, you know what? I'm going to finish my race. I might be broken. I might be down. I might be out. But he says, you know, he would never have got there. And you know what? Derek's now a speaker, and he shares a story. He says, you know what? I don't, this is the story where all the pictures are. This is what I'm known for, but I don't want to be known for that. He said, you know, in that moment, they told him, this will be the last time that you'll ever be able to compete for your country. You're too old to run. And he says, you know what? This, his dad, being his encouragement, said, you just go for whatever. And so Derek actually joined the, the, the bas started playing basketball, worked his way through all the ranks, and became part of the British basketball team and was able to represent his country for basketball. When that was done, he joined a rugby team and began to work his way through the ranks and be able to represent his country for rugby. Why? Because of one man's words who came down to that spot where he was just going through the lowest part of his life to pick him up and say, you know what? If you're going to keep going, then let's do this together. Let's do this together. Sounds amazing, eh? I don't know about you, but for me, I want to be that kind of person. The one who's there to encourage others. Ecclesiastes, the Bible says it's like two people are better off than one. If they can help each other succeed, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. And here's this incredible verse. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. See, Jesus knows people are going to go through difficult things. That's why he designed this idea of church being around each other, being together, that when, when one person falls, they're not alone. There's this idea of there's somebody to pick a brother up, good team players to pick them up. A team consists of each player playing a part. Each player. Teamwork is the combined action of a group of people, especially when it's effective and efficient. See, there's no, this, this idea of teamwork was that something positive would come of it. You know, it's, you know, with bad hockey teams, sometimes you see when they're playing, they all play in front of their own net. They all try to be the goalie, and so, you know, hopefully the other team won't score. But they don't ever win games that way because they're not actually playing in their position they're supposed to. As opposed to football, you know, where you got the kicker who all they do is kick the ball as far as they can and they're off the field. Or that person who's like Lucy from Peanuts, you know, who holds the ball that, and that's all their job is, hold the ball for the kicker. Guess what? Their names end up on the trophy. Why? Because they're playing their part in, and, and uh, teams win and lose together. It's like 
potluck dinner, right? Everybody brings a little something, and then everybody has something. So the idea this morning is, what did you bring? What did you bring? You're like, we're having a potluck dinner? No, don't miss the point. You know, the idea is, what, what have you been designed to do to be a part of this, of this team? And for some, it's like, in the idea of team church, Every person plays. Every person's a part of what, what happens. For some, it's like, well, I don't know if I feel qualified. I'm just going to wait till I, I, I know enough before I can be a part. And I would challenge you to do the opposite. Start playing. Start getting in the game. Be involved in what's uh, happening and then find out where you fit. Mother Teresa said this, you can do what I cannot do. And I can do what you cannot do. And together, we can do great things. You can do what I cannot do, and I can do what you cannot do, and together we can do great things. Because teamwork's the fuel that allows common people to achieve uncommon results. Teamwork's the, that, that possibility for just common people. I'm one of those. To, to experience uncommon results. Almost everything we have is a result of teamwork. You know, look at the chairs that you're sitting on. You know, those were designed by a, a whole team of people. This building was a team behind a dream. You look at a pencil. I don't know why I did this, but look at where a pencil comes from, you know, the wood from North America, the graphite from South America, the erasers from Malaysia, all that team had to, just using a pencil involved teamwork somewhere. It's incredible what can happen when a team understands a, a common purpose and goal. I don't know if you, for those of you who remember a movie called Remember the Titans, I'd like you to remember, remember the Titans uh, from, from the year 2000. If you haven't seen it, it's worth watching. Coach Herman Boone encouraged a group of racially charged um, and aggressive individuals on a, on a, on a uh, high school football team to, to play together. And they went 13-0 and and won the championship, did what others thought was impossible. You know, we've seen it here. Great groups of people doing small things that, that, that end up with big results. In Haiti, we had uh, these, these kids needing sponsorship and watching how, you know, the, the goal, our big dream was that we would see at least um, five kids sponsored. And we're like, we'll put it out there. And 11 kids get sponsored in a weekend. Why? Because I can do something, you can do something. And between those things, great things can happen. And here's the, here's the whole reason of the why today. Because I believe that we have been called to build a great church in Balmoral. That's why I'm here. That's why I came here. That's why I feel like we've been called to this point, is to build a great church in Balmoral. And, and why does that matter? Not a building. No, we're not trying to build a building. We're not trying to build programs. Great people. Why? Because here's why it matters. So if you're like asleep, wake up, because this is the most important part of all of it. I want to leave you with one more story. story of the Iditarod. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but every year in Alaska, they run a dog sled race. Uh, it's 1,000 miles. And it's this, it's this race that was uh, run right these years. It's run for prestige, and uh, you know it's uh, run for money. But uh, it's actually to commemorate a race that happened years and years ago. And it was actually January 1926. There was a six-year-old boy named Richard Stanley. And they write his name because it's important. It's a real kid. Richard Stanley, six years old, had symptoms of diphtheria. Uh, and he lived in a, in a little town called Nome. And with diphtheria, that just spreads throughout a whole community and can wipe them all out. And so uh, the, realizing that they had like, the possibility of an outbreak, their uh, doctor, who's at, at that point, his name was Curtis Welch, he began to um, uh, administer this antitoxin to, to people there and realized he didn't have enough. 
If you know the story of seeing Balto, the movie, as a kid, it's this story where, where they realized, and through a telegraph, they sent saying, hey, we need this. And so by train, they were able to get it 1,000 miles uh, away from them. That's the closest they could get it. And so they sent out this, this telegraph, and it says that a group of trappers and prospectors along the way agreed that they would each take turns taking this 20-pound vial of medication from, from uh, this little place called uh, Nanana, Alaska, all the way to Nome. And they went round the clock, minus 50 degree weather, as far as they could go to the next dog racing team that would, would go to the, to the next spot. It took them 144 hours, five days, five and a half days to get to that place until they finally delivered the serum. And as I read the story, it was the last line of the story that just grabbed me because it said this, as a result, only one other life was lost to this potential epidemic because they got there in time. And it says this, their sacrifice had given an entire town the gift of life. The 20 men and their dogs, their sacrifice had given an entire town the gift of life. See, because we're not here just to try and build a great church. We're not here just to try and see how many people we can get to come out on a Sunday morning. We're here to build a church that unchurched people want to become a part of. We're here to build a church that unchurched people, people without Jesus, can see and say, ah, those people, whatever they have is something that I want. They have hope. They have joy. They've got peace. They've got something that I don't have. Because the truth is this, without Jesus, people will spend a real eternity in a real place called hell. A place of incredible torment and pain for eternity. And we don't talk about hell here very often. Maybe someday we'll do a series on it. But the people around us who don't know Jesus will spend an eternity without him. Without Jesus, they don't have the chance for eternal life and they'll miss out on it. And that's without Jesus. But without us... They may never have the opportunity to hear it. Without me and without you, they may never hear of this incredible gift of life, this incredible gift of forgiveness, this, in, this incredible salvation story. Like, well, I don't know what to say. Paul covered that for us in Romans chapter 10. Last verse today, it says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, two things, Jesus is Lord, and I believe that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. That's all it takes for someone to be saved is that, uh, that calling out to Jesus. He says, for it's, it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. If you don't know these verses, take a snappy. Write these ones down. Take some time to memorize them because they are life. They are that serum for our world. And it says this in verse 13, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? A lot of times we think, we live in Canada. Everyone's heard about Jesus. He's a swear word around my workplace. Well, not mine, but probably yours. <laughs> Do you know, it's that, that, that idea that, you know, everyone's heard about Jesus. But can I tell you something? Most of them haven't heard the truth about him. They think that God's angry at them. They think that he's like, he has nothing to do with them. They don't understand that he wants personal relationship with them. They don't know that he's offering life to them. And they're not going to know unless someone tells them. Who's the someone? Is it me? Is it you? So I want to finish where we started. What are we doing? Kingsway, what are we doing here? What we're doing is building a healthy, life-giving church. It's what we're doing. It's why we're here. And why are we doing it? So that unchurched people, people who don't know Christ, would have a chance to become a part of this family. And the last question is by far the most important. Where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? 
I think I know where I fit in. Where do you fit in? What is it that God has designed you uniquely to do to be a part of his kingdom? See, a lot of times we have gifts and talents and we use them to get jobs or we use it to make money. But he's given you unique gifts and talents for way more than that. And like a puzzle, if that piece is in place, something's missing. And in a church and in a team and in the church, if, if what you've been gifted to do, you don't do, that piece is missing. No one else can fill that piece. And the powerful thing about it is there's eternal victories and eternal losses for this team. There's eternal victories and eternal losses for this team. So when we hand you a card saying, join a group, you're like, I'm not join a group. You told me to, you know. The idea is that thought of, How can we help you to walk alongside someone else, to be a part of a group where you're cheering and encouraging and being cheered on and being encouraged as as you grow because that synergy does incredible things. Maybe it's joining a team to serve others. Maybe for you it's like, you know, you might be one of the ones who is, is just gifted to lead kids to Jesus Christ downstairs or out in a portable somewhere. Or maybe you're down there to, to just hold babies and pray over babies uh, downstairs while their parents are up here having the chance to hear about Jesus Christ and know Jesus Christ for themselves. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I don't know if I can do that, but I can serve a cup of coffee. You know what Jesus says? If you're serving a glass of water to the least of these, to anyone, he says, you're doing it to me. You're serving Jesus. So we say all these things that kind of happen at Kingsway. The idea is and always will be that you find a place to fit. Not just to say, no, I just kind of like it here because, you know, I can just show up and be a part. There's too much at risk for that. So this morning, our challenge is, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? You know, maybe for you, it's just simply inviting someone else to church, someone at work, someone who just needs hope, someone who needs joy, and you know it. It's inviting them because it comes down to this. Someday, I hope, when Wikipedia down the road, you know, or in Google, you Google Kingsway Church, not, uh, 2016, 20 years from now, what will be said of us? My prayer is that the line from this other story of the Iditarod would be in that line, that the sacrifice that they had given, that they had made, gave a person gave a man, gave a woman, gave a child, gave a family, gave a town the opportunity of eternal life. That what they laid down their lives to do, that their, their sweat, their tears, their, their work, gave somebody the chance to experience eternal life. That's why we're here. It's really why we're here this morning. Maybe you didn't know that, but I want to encourage and challenge each and every one of you to find out the answer to that question, where do I fit in? And for you, if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ. Can I tell you that he knows you? He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. For some, you think, man, if God really knew me, he'd hate me. He, he would not be okay with all the things. I've got guilt and shame on the inside. That's the reason he came. Send his son to die on a cross to take your guilt, your shame, lift it, take it away from you, and, and give you the chance to experience what life's really supposed to be all about. It is amazing. If you have questions on that, come talk to me after. But why don't we pray this morning? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this idea of church. Thank you for starting this, Jesus, and for not leaving us on our own, but for giving us a chance to partner with the Holy Spirit inside each and every one of us to be your church, to be the, the, the part of your mission on this planet. Father, you know all the people that are around each and every one of us every single day that we see, that we talk to. Some of them we know where they're, where they're at with you, and others we have no idea. Holy Spirit, I pray that this week that you just prompt us in the right moments. Give us courage to just ask them the, the questions. Are you okay? You know, where's life at for you? Give us the, 
the, just the, the chance to work with you and seeing them come to know you. May we shine bright for you with the way we love one another and encourage one another that people can't help but see how amazing you are. May they be drawn to you. Father, we love you. It's in your amazing name. It's just a privilege to be a part of your family. And thank you for that. Pray your blessing on this Kingsway family as they go from here to light up the world and make a difference wherever they are. Pray you bless them in that. It's in your name I pray. Amen.